You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes. And even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will arrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello, hello. Welcome to the GFR show. I am so glad you're here. Maybe you're here because you know today's guests. Uh, Maybe you're here because you are an avid listener. I am just so grateful that the universe guided you here. And these stories that we share on this show, the intention is to inspire you. The intention is to keep you going when it looks like hell is happening around you so that you can trust that it does have a bigger purpose and it will be a pivotal moment for you, perhaps, in how you manifest your work and your service in the world. So here's a question to kick off our time together today. What would it look like if you danced with life? (laughs) I love this one. What would it look like if you danced with life? You know, it kind of reminds me of the guest's favorite GFR commandment, which is number eight. Sometimes stopping is the most lucrative action to take. And where do I need to pause or stop but haven't because of fear? So if we're dancing with life, then we stop or pause when we need to. Well, the universe paused our guest today, Dr. Valerie Renee Shepard, about six years ago when she had a catastrophic stroke, a brain hemorrhage, and she had it in front of 40 people that she was speaking to at the University of California in Irvine. And she talks about all of the events that led up to that moment and how they were all divinely guided and how she feels like it was for her highest good. I know, right? I mean, wow. Part of this episode reminds me of one of those movies where they or TV shows where they, you know, show you something bad that's happened. And then what comes on the screen is like 12 hours earlier or three days before. And they kind of show you all the events that led up to it. Well, Valerie does that with the experience she had with her stroke. And it is such a mind bender to drop into a space of gratitude for (laughs) for having a stroke. Well, she's Valerie is the, <laughs> she's the one to do it. She has an amazing book called Living Happy to Be Me, Dancing with Your Soul Light Style. And through the Hartley Center for Mindfulness and Self-Mastery and her nonprofit, 
She loves to serve all kinds of people with helping them to learn from spiritual principles and practices to transform their lives, which, you know, (laughs) I think sometimes when we hear about transforming our lives, it could sound so sort of glossed over. And I hope that you are able to drop into a bigger possibility just by hearing how Dr. Valerie holds things and walk to things in her life. And the stroke is just part of her story. She even talks about reaching a pinnacle point in her corporate career and getting nudges that it wasn't the life that she was supposed to be living. She was a vice president of Fortune 500 companies in the area of marketing. And she realized that she needed to create a new path to help her heal her wounds and to become her true self. And so much courage, so much courage. And she is a woman of color and that is part of her experience. And I'm, that's actually how one of the reasons why we met is because she was the teacher in the eight month course that I took in 2021 on learning about my unconscious racial bias. And that was the space and the year that I also realized my, my anti-fat bias and my internalized fat phobia and how connected it all was to all kinds of others, unconscious bias that are not our fault. They are the product of society and and all of the influences on us as people. And so it really helped me to come from love for myself and also for myself in my own personal journey around my body and also through other marginalized groups. And largely inspired my new event gathering called the Love Fest for Liberated Leaders. So I I definitely feel like I need to thank Dr. Valerie for being a pivotal mentor on my journey so that I can overtly hold an inclusive space for events and things that I do. So if you go to liberatedleaders.org, you will find the next date for my Love Fest for Liberated Leaders. And at the time of this recording, I feel like I'm going to do it regularly. And so you can check it out at liberatedleaders.org. And a couple of things I want to say about Dr. Valerie Renee Shepard. She has received her PhD in 2021. So it's fun to call her doctor. And her PhD is in consciousness and human potential. Ugh, so juicy. And she's in the board of the Evolutionary Business Council, which I am also a member of. And that's how we met and a member of the National Society of Leadership and Success, the recipient of the Excellence in Service Award. And I mean, I could just go on and on here with all of the ways that she has been honored. And she brought a groundbreaking curriculum to the University of California, Irvine, helping young people achieve self-mastery. Oh my God, it's so important as I sit here with my daughter who is 16 and college is, you know, a year and a half away. I can't think of something more important. And she hopes to bring that curriculum to many, many colleges around the world. Oh my gosh. Without further ado, I just, I can't wait for you to fall in love with Dr. Valerie Shepard and maybe with yourself along the way in this interview. Hi, Valerie Renee Shepard, Dr. Valerie Renee Shepard. <laughs> hey there, you gorgeous woman. How's it going, Madam Lisa? It's going good. I'm so excited for this. I feel like 
like starstruck and also like you're my bestie all at the same time, if that's possible. <laughs> yes, ma'am, that is beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for this time with you. I'm like, let's get it. I know. Me too. She's rubbing her hands together just like me. Yes, yes, yes. And the doctor is a recent accomplishment. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. I received that in delight. (laughs) Well, you probably had five doctorates in life experience before this official one, but uh, (laughs) for sure. Say that, Lisa, my spiritual counselor. I see a spiritual counselor. I really believe that as teachers, we always have to be keeping our knife, yes. our game going. And she told me a couple of times, you have a PhD and working hard and struggle and strive. It's time for something different. Yeah. So yes, she agrees with you. Yes. All other areas of life. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, that this show is so much about acknowledging that the, I call it, you know, wormhole certified. And to me, it is the best credential of all. Like when people have been through shit, like deep shit. I'm like, sign me up. I'll give you all my money. <laughs> I, feel like, I just feel like, you know it. you got it going on. A friend of mine's daughter was dating somebody who was a recovering alcoholic. I'm like, that's awesome. You know, they did their work. They're present. They're clear. Like to me, that is an asset. Anyone who's recovering from anything. <laughs> and I can't agree with you more. And, you know, truth be told, every one of us is going through our own version of whatever it is. And, you know, sometimes I look at others and I don't, you know, I may not see the struggle on their face or on the, you know, the outward experience of their lives, but I'm not at all kidding myself to believe that, you know, my struggle is the biggest or the worst. I know that we've all got our own versions and our own experiences and they're, they're all filled with beautiful opportunities. And at the same time, they freaking suck. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, the intention of the show really is to help people that are in the midst of it and not sure what the fuck is going on or just went through it and don't know what the purpose or meaning is of it yet, or at least, you know, haven't even scratched the surface on it all the way through to those that are like have been through it and they're doing some expression of a business that relates to it. But like also to know, like, probably, you know, there's so much more to come in our journeys. So these stories that we share a couple times a month here are just food, food for the mission entrepreneur that really sees their journey as part of their spiritual boot camp. So oh, I'm so happy to have you here. I'm doing a fist pump to that one, girlfriend. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm high five. And I really am grateful for you, like elevating these stories, like the Dynamics happening with this body of work that is being done by the people that you feature. And I mean, it's, I'm, I'm really just loving it. And we need to elevate these stories. There's so much muck and yuck that seems to rise to the top. I don't understand that all the time, but it seems to rise to the top. And I think that's because psychologically speaking, we have this desire for the morbid, like I know I'm morbidly curious, right? I'm not always going to turn away when something gross is happening. I'm like, what's going on over there? So (laughs) the muck and yuck rises. And I think it's kind of a cosmic responsibility that some people will stand for the bright shining lights that are out there and will elevate those stories and make sure that they get heard and make sure that they are breathing love and light across the planet. I mean, that's what, that's what I'm all about. I know that that's what I'm here for. So 
I appreciate you. Yay. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. I can't wait to hug you. Can we do a safe hug when we see each other? Yeah, I, I haven't stopped hugging. All through. Okay. Y'all, we are neighbors, like, like literal, like within a mile. We live within a mile of each other. And I knew it, but Valerie didn't know it until we started to talk today. She's like, what? You walk around that my lake? <laughs> she didn't say that, but... <laughs> Yes. So I'm really excited about getting together. And uh, it's so rare now. I, I don't have many friends that live around here. Everybody lives far away. Out of my mouth. I was just about to say it's good because I don't feel like I have friends around me. Yeah, I feel the same. I feel the same. Like I'm thinking, I wish I'd known for Super Bowl. I don't know if you like football or anything. No, I wouldn't have helped you there. <laughs> That's a big laugh. Okay, never mind. I'm a big sports <laughs> town, so I'll remember that. <laughs> but I could probably refer you. <laughs> I <can> recommend <laughs> a good party. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> okay, so your life story is chock full of goodness. And I am setting the intention that the perfect things come out in our conversation that are going to serve our audience. And if we need to do a part two sometime, we will do that. Oh, yeah, um, like that. And, and it's kind of fun, actually. I've done that a, a few times with people like a year later, and it's just fun to see how things continue to evolve as they do in our lives. So, okay, so here we go. So you are from back East, like me. Um, I'm from New Jersey. You're from Virginia. And back East, you know, we're in California now recording this, y'all. Back East, the states are like, much smaller and you can kind of drive in a day to the different states. And so it feels a little bit more cozy. So from your childhood, what indications did you have for who you are today? None. (laughs) None. I don't feel like I had very many indications for who I am today. When I think of who I am today, doctorate in consciousness and human potential, spiritual messenger, spiritual teacher, working with young adults. No, that wasn't on my horizon then. When I think about the big things that were on my mind back then, it was get married. I wanted to have a rainbow coalition family. So what that meant for me, you know, I'm a daughter of the 60s. So what that meant for me was I was going to have a few kids and then I was going to adopt a bunch of kids and we were going to be multi-racial, multi-ethnic. And back then I wasn't doing it as a political statement. Like that wasn't, this was like when I'm 13, 14, 15, it was just a part of what I felt, what I felt when, when I thought about different nationalities. My father was a career Marine. We lived on military bases and he was an enlisted man for part of that time. He retired as a captain. He was a Mustang Marine. He retired as a captain. But when we lived in the enlisted men's quarters, And notice title of the 60s, enlisted men's quarters. Yeah. (laughs) When we lived in those, it was more like a United Nations. One of his best friends was Japanese. I had my first like bento box cuisine when I was, I think, before I was 10 years old. My mom always talks about we had a Mexican family on one side and we had the Japanese family and it was like United Nations. So it's funny. That's what I thought I would be doing. At one point, I was like, I'm going to be a millionaire before I'm 30 years old. Well, that didn't happen. But none of this that I'm doing right now, I never saw myself living in California. I don't have an allegiance to one particular state, really, because as a military child, as you know, 
Um, I've lived in 10 states now. So I do call Virginia home and I do see some of Virginia's ugly underbelly that really makes me gag when I think of it as home. I still love going there. I have a brother. My big brother still lives there. And I go back for my high school reunions and my alma mater, (laughs) my undergraduate alma mater's there. So that's still a part of me. This life is, is not from a story back then. So one of the things that you do is work with young people, particularly in college, and you work with one of our local universities, happens to be our local university, but it's a national university, uh, UCI, California, Irvine. Right. I should be much better at all the UCs because my daughter is in the process of all of it. And I am I still feel like I'm from Becky's because I'm like, is it a Cal State? Is it UC? I'm oh, shame on you. Girl. I know. I know. I'm sorry. This school has like 38,000 students in it. It's, it's a big ass school. Five schools in the nation. It's number one in a number of categories. <laughs> I shout out my UCI, honey. I hear that clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish they had the, the uh, major that my daughter has chosen, which is graphic design and graphic design with a marketing and advertising focus. And they don't have that. So I'm kind of bummed about that. So with the work that you have done with young people, which is amazing. I call them emerging adults. Emerging adults. They are emerging into their lives from their, this transition from young, uh, late adolescence to young adulthood is the part that I'm really, really focused on. I really love touching these emerging exquisitenesses, brilliances, beautifulness. There's such, I just want to squeeze all their cheeks. I wish that my daughter let me squeeze her cheeks still, but she does not. (laughs) It is something I ache for. (laughs) You know, not being someone's mom, you get a little more leeway. Yeah, I gather. My mom squeezed my cheeks either. (laughs) (laughs) So the chorus, Living 101, Be Happy and Whole, I just, wow. I'm so grateful that you're doing this work. Do you get a bit of your United Nations itch scratched, the brood that you wanted to have? Do you get that through the work that you do with these emerging adults? Yes. It's funny when people ask me if I have kids and I'm like, no, I haven't birthed any, but I have a couple hundred of them that are still in touch with me. And then, you know, when you think about the body of all of them, it's a few thousand. So yes, I get that itch scratched. I have a couple who are, we get together, you know, even though there's obviously 30 or 40 year difference in our ages, one of them takes me out for Vietnamese food because I love Vietnamese food. So we'll go, there's a a restaurant not too far from here in uh, Santa Ana that we go to or Costa Mesa. And then another one would, would meet me and he, he introduced me to Shabu Shabu and some other- I love Shabu Shabu. Because his background's Korean. So yes, we dance in delight in a number of ways. And some of them I still am and doing coaching. They're, they come to my challenges or, or courses or something like that. So I'm blessed that they have seen fit to seek me out and to, to keep doing the dance with me guiding them. It's amazing. I mean, obviously, as a mother of a 16-year-old emerging adult, I feel like I get to implant and share and hold space for my daughter in ways that are so freaking important to being a person. I mean, I think I say to her 
we say to her at least once or twice a week, most adults don't know how to do that. You, you have to understand most adults don't know how to do that. You know, she's stressing about one thing or another. And um, so I just know that, if, you know, my kid was in college at this was what a gift, what a gift to be able to give these tools, skills on how to be happy and whole to emerging adults. I, I can't, in this moment, I can't think of anything that's more important than that in terms of all of the work that you do in the world seems like it's going to be fed by those young people. <laughs> Thank you. And, you know, that's where this work came from. As I went on the journey in my own life, sorting out, you know, in my 40s, 30s and 40s, sorting out what, why is my life my life? Why are the things, I don't get it. Like, where is lasting happiness? I had excitement. I had great moments. I had good experiences. I'm not saying I had a horrible life. I have had a, I've had a charmed life. And I've said that all through my life. And still I got to a place where it felt empty and cold and um, not fulfilling. Yes, yes, yes. I was living in my dream house and driving my dream car and living in California. And I was like, wow, this is so awesome. And still it was kind of meh, meh. The journey that got me on the on the the place where I am now of understanding what the nuances were that I wasn't noticing, what the things were that were coming up in my life and why, like, that's what always bugged me was why is this happening? Not, I wish it wouldn't. It's just why, like, could I make sense of it? And what could I do with it? Not about it. What could I do with it? I, I wasn't always sure about that. That's what got me on the journey to write the book. And the book was all about, boy, if I had known this stuff when I was younger and I was making really key decisions, like the number of decisions that I made in my life, like critical decisions that I made on, on the basis of low vibration, low consciousness stuff, like, like wanting to have money or a title or these things that, you know, I got the money in the title, but I was empty. And that's not to say money and titles are bad, you know, hell yeah. Give me the title, right? Call me doctor. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not everything. There has to be something more. And so getting to the place where I was looking back going, yeah, you know what? Would have been nice to know this when I was in my twenties. And yeah. that's why emerging adults feels like a beautiful place for me to be. And like you said, unfortunately, there's not that much in this spectrum that's really focused on emerging adults. I say that in my dissertation, like, come on, post-secondary education, step up to the plate. We need to teach these kids wholeness. We need to teach them how the world works on a spiritual level, not just, you know, we talk about STEM, but let's add another S in there. How about spirituality? And, and let's, <laughs> let's get into quantum physics outside of a physics class. Let's get into metaphysics outside of a religion class. Like let's mainstream this stuff so that these kids understand the forces of nature that are natural and are going to be there, whether they know it or not, understand it or not, like it or not. It doesn't matter. Gravity doesn't care whether you like it. It's going to do what it does. And that's the same for universal spiritual law. And that's what I teach. Woo. Yes. Love it. <laughs> So you alluded a bit to having it all and then not being happy. Can you give us a little bit more of what that having it all picture looked like and a little bit sort of leading up to, because obviously your motivations have changed 
considerably in terms of what's important to you and where you're focusing your energy. So what used to be important and, and then what led to you actually really shifting out of that whole corporate construct? Okay. So I think I need to clean a couple things up. I don't believe my motivations have changed that much. I still hope the things that I do are wildly successful and that great stewardship of wealth is a part of that. That hasn't changed. I'm still big on contribution to the planet. That hasn't changed. I even think people have asked me before, would you ever go back to corporate America? So I don't think corporate America is a problem. I've never thought that. And would I go back? Heck yeah. I would love to have this consciousness in a role where I could do some really good with it and be able to serve corporations who do a lot on this planet. Let's face it. Small businesses are backbone and corporations do a lot and they can do a lot of good and they can do a lot of shitstorm crazy crap. So I don't have anything against corporations and there was nothing wrong with either of the big corporations that I worked for. I still love Procter and Gamble. And so I just want to lay that groundwork. What was going on with me inside those corporations was all about me. Yes. I'm pointing to my, the instrument that I am. Thank you. And, and that's the point of, you know, my book title is called Living Happy to Be Me. The M-E is in capitals. And I talk in the book about the journey going from little case, lowercase M-E, which is mighty ego, to uppercase M-E, which is magnificent essence. So the question is not what's the environment I'm in. The question is who am I being in whatever environment I'm in? Like, that's what I'm talking about. And so what I have understood about the journey of my life is that in those spaces where I wasn't having, wasn't feeling fulfilled, wasn't feeling cherished, wasn't feeling nurtured, wasn't feeling seen, heard, understood, wasn't really like dancing in the highest potential of myself. Those are just places where I, Valerie, was in a lower consciousness, lower vibration, asleep at the wheel. That's not an accusation. That's just a statement of truth. I didn't know any better. When you don't know any better, you can't do any better. You can't be any better. And I was very spiritual, but I still was missing a lot of the deeper, richer parts that I could express as me. Did you need to leave in order to get that awareness? I don't think so. You would have realized you were asleep at the wheel and had this deeper expression if you stayed put. I can't say that whether I would have if I stayed put. All I can definitely say is I don't know that people have to uproot their lives and mm-hmm. you know leave something to do that. I mean, the dynamic that happened for me, Lisa, was I got to this pinnacle in my career and then I started noticing the things that I had been doing that I thought had made me really successful seemed to not work so well anymore. So there was a first sort of you know, WTF in military (laughs) speak, whiskey, tango, foxtrot, (laughs) street speak, what the fuck? (laughs) And so I was like, okay, I say in my book that I was very, I was so upset and I didn't understand that by the time I left my office and got down to my car, three or four floors on the elevator, I was in tears many Mm -hmm. days when I left my office. And I didn't understand why God, divine mind, my angels, my I didn't understand why they planted me here 
And I felt like it was turning to shit right in front of me, in my hands. Like, I don't get it. And one day in a meeting, I had symptoms that I didn't know what was going on. And it was in my chest. And I was like, what the? And so I said very calmly, now I'm the vice president. So my team is here. And I said, um, does anybody know the symptoms of a heart attack in a woman? Like very mental, very <laughs> cognitive, very left. Like it was a point on the agenda. <laughs> very much. And very left brain. So keep that in mind. Left okay. brain. Because we know brain stuff. And my staff is like freaking out. Are you having a heart attack? And I'm like, very calmly. I don't know, because I don't know the symptoms of a heart attack in a woman. Now, can you imagine this? <laughs> like when I look back on it, I'm like, wow, she was really disconnected. That person, that me was really disconnected and, and towing the line and holding the face. Like, so anyway, long story short, they took me to the hospital. I wasn't having a heart attack, but when they hooked me up to the machines, they were like, oh, there's something happening later on after like all kinds of cardiac stuff and tests and blah, blah, blah. They diagnosed me with a benign super arrhythmia, which basically means your heart races and does all this stuff, but they couldn't find a physiological reason. That's my recollection of what the conversations I had with the cardiologist. So that's, that's what started it all. Lisa, I went on this place where I was like, okay, I didn't even know that was possible. I didn't know it was possible for me to have a physiological effect to a non-physiological cause. Mm -mm. I was like, what do you mean there's no cause that you can find in my body? Where else would it be coming from? Mm. Well, they kind of sent me home because cardiologists are body mechanics. Right. <laughs> right. And so that's what started me on the whole spiritual. There must be more to my life than what I think I'm supposed to be doing. And that opened the floodgates. Right. Thank you for that story. I'm just picturing you in this meeting, Miss VP. I'm sitting. I'm picturing you sitting at the like head of the table or the you know the the short end of the table. And oh boy, oh boy, it was a round table, but yeah. Okay, oh, I don't ruin like my appearance. <laughs> you know, I did like back then. I did like the appearance of being the leader, and I wanted it to be clear that I was the leader and I was the highest ranking person. And as a black female in a corporate environment. Sometimes I had to remind people of that because there were times when the lowest ranking white male would call stuff that I had data to support into question. So yeah, there, I was definitely about, I have my, I call them my Gandalf moments. <laughs> you shall not pass. And then under my breath, I'd say, Mother. can you tell the story that you shared in our unconscious racial bias, deep dive about sitting around like a boardroom table, sharing an idea and kind of what happened. We kind of was glossed over and then what happened yeah, with the white and colleague. That, and that wasn't a one-off. I mean, that happened throughout my career. It got to the point where it's like, as I got more senior in my career and people who didn't know me would experience me for the first or second time, they would get an impression of me of she always has to be right. I would, I got so sick and tired of hearing that. She always has to be right. And what they didn't know was that throughout my career, I would offer an idea and people would question it. How do you know this? And I would support it and support it and defend it and support it and come at this angle, come at that angle. And then some other white person in the room would, sim would say either that in some cases it, it was almost the exact same words 
same idea. And people would be like, oh, yay, yay, yay. I'm clapping my hands. Hercules, Hercules. Like they'd be, <laughs> you know, yay, what a great idea. We should do that. Yeah. Who's going to study it? We should do that. And rarely, if ever, someone would say, didn't Valerie say that like 20 minutes ago? Like rarely there would be an ally or just a person of justice who would be like, you're not getting away that shit. And it was usually another woman because it happens to women, whether they're look like me or not, but it happened frequently enough. And so I say that to say, sometimes when we're looking at people and we're thinking, why are they so adamant that their idea is so important? If you look at their history, it might be because they've had good ideas. I'm not going to say stolen, but passed off by other people as though, you know, they came up with it. And back then that meant a lot to me. Now I'm kind of like, well, you know what? It's a good idea. It's getting implemented. And I'm, you know, my ego is a lot more quiet. Uh, there's a, there's a fine line between social justice and corporate BS. Or, <laughs> it doesn't have to be corporate. I mean, I've had it happen on the soccer pitch and in nonprofits and places that I take this, implant this black body as a leader, it comes up all the time. So it's been a part of the experience. And that's why I say it's not changing all the experiences because that is freaking exhausting. I mean, talk about, talk to anybody out there doing social justice work. We's tired. Like it's, it is exhausting. Well, especially what we're up against today. So it has to be about self-mastery. Like the instrument that you are deserves an easier, more beautiful experience of life. And that comes from inside you. And that comes from inside me. And I can't change the white supremacist who is adamant that that's who they want to be, whether it's because they don't know any better or because they just drank the Kool-Aid and that's what they believe more power to them to go have that belief. And my job is to manage me and my experience of the world they're trying to create. Ah, amen. It is all up to us how we experience things and how we, I'd say, metabolize things. And I really appreciate recognizing that or addressing that in the context of social justice because I think it is always a dance. It's a dance. Yeah. I agree with you. And I, you know, that word is in the subtitle of my book on purpose. Like I put it there on purpose because the energy of dancing, I love dancing and the energy of dancing feels powerfully uplifting. I mean, when you think about the cultures on this earth and how dance has played such a powerful role from joyful expression to deep grieving, sorrowful expression to creative expression. I mean, and everything all around and in between, it is a dance. And sometimes we are up to it and we're we got our tap shoes on and we're going at it. And other times we are drag and tail. And I think we're always up for it. And, and I believe self-mastery is what has equipped me to kind of roll with the roll tide, as they would say down in um, Bama, roll <laughs> tide. Now that's a football reference. I get that you may not get it, Lisa, but. Thank you. 
It's Alabama Crimson Tide is the name of the team. And they say Roll Tide. So Thanks I for schooling me. That even though I don't care about that football team. I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for the remedial. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> I think that's going to be one of the few things we don't have in common when we start doing our walks around the lake. <laughs> We won't be talking sports. Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. We got <laughs> you have other people to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you transitioned out of your VP position with, it was at the time, ConAgra, which my husband also worked for. We have a lot of interesting things in common. And I'm noticing that your book was published a year after this catastrophic health thing that happened to you. And I'm feeling like that's significant. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Understatement of the century. (laughs) Definitely was significant. Yeah. Can you, yeah. Can you give us a little bit of a runway leading up to this catastrophic health experience that you had and kind of like, yeah, like what this was. Give me the Valerie. (laughs) Such a happy period in my life because. I had had this vision. So imagine that for two years leading up to this, well, for the book was in the works for like eight years. Okay. And which by the way, I cannot wait. I'm, I, I wrote down to buy it and read it, which I don't do that very often. I don't do a lot of committing to reading, but I'm really excited about reading your book. So well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. So the book was on its journey and I would, every now and then I would write some more and then I would check in with the book and ask if it was, complete. And I would keep getting no's. And I was like, like, I'm one of those people who likes to be at the finish line, but doesn't want to do the work to get there. (laughs) I just want to, I watched Bewitched when I was little. So I just want to, I was just thinking about what Bewitched the other day. I don't know why. Maybe I was just, maybe I was wiggling my nose, but yeah. (laughs) I just wanted to be able to wiggle my nose and place myself at the finish line. So the writing of the book was not as much fun for me. I think that there are authors who love that. And I'm kind of like, Mrah. so anyway, um, so the book was on its journey. The journey that I was on at U- University of California, Irvine, was I was teaching at the um, Paul Mirage School of Business. And I was noticing that my students would come and talk to me often about life matters. And the reason they did that is because they knew out in the world, I was doing leadership coaching and executive coaching and stuff in addition to teaching. And so as I was watching this happen, I was like, man, they, they need something. These, you know, they're, they're talking to me about breaking up with a partner and how that trashed their, their school year. I'm like, what? And then they would talk about my mom wants me to be an accountant and I want to be a writer. And I'm, so we're, we're not speaking. I'm like, that doesn't work. And then all these things. And so I went to, I started trying to see like what, what courses are offered? How are they, what, what can I recommend to them? Have you thought about going to the counseling center? No, they don't want to do that. It's the stigma with mental health. So what are you doing? I don't know. That's why I'm talking to you. So I ended up going to the meeting, the vice chancellor of student affairs in 2014. And I said to him, I have something I really want to talk to you about. And I don't know who on campus could help me do it. So I'm coming to you. So he, we had lunch and he said, come to my office and we'll have an official meeting about it. And I basically told him, I think these kids need a life skills class or something. And he said, 
I didn't even know that I was talking about something official that universities do, which is non-cognitive skill development. And he educated me on that. And he said, put together a proposal. And he goes, don't make it a big deal, but put together a proposal, not (laughs) knowing that I'd already done that. And he said, bring it to me and I'll see what I can do. So that meeting was in January. I I mark it in my head as January 5th-ish, beginning of January of 2015. And by March of 2015, I was funded and in the class. Oh my gosh. First of all, this is like the third wave of chills that I've had since you started talking about this. Like I am feeling super emotional. (sighs) What an amazing accomplishment. Like you that talk about God guided and parting the seas for you, lady. Oh my gosh. Like to get through that bureaucracy in months to have a official course. And Lisa, yes, yes, yes. And I want to honor your emotion because I feel that way too. When I think about it, I mean, he, he's one of the few people that I mentioned from UCI by name in the dedication and the acknowledgement of my dissertation, because he was instrumental in getting my curriculum, which is based on my book into this top university in the country. At the time, you see, I was still under 50 years old and it was the number one university under 50 years old in the country. So to partner with them, to pilot my curriculum based on my intellectual property was huge. And I was so excited. And we we had a cohort of 12 students and they were really into it. I mean, this was, (laughs) this was an hypothesis. This was not a given. And the reason it wasn't a given was I knew I was teaching heavy spirituality. This wasn't just, yeah. you know, and you didn't hold um, this back. Just, it sounds like, <laughs> and it wasn't just like time management and stuff like that. I mean, I never talked time management. I, it was all about really deep stuff. And I thought, well, we'll see if anybody wants to do that. We got 12. Oh, it was amazing. The Friday before the last day of class. Now, now the last day of class is a big deal. Because the way I had developed this curriculum, I was really, I'm really big on embodiment, Lisa. It's like, and you know this from the way we were doing the DEI stuff. You got to embody this stuff. It cannot be head knowledge. I had lived my whole life with head knowledge. It hadn't really dropped into my body. So I knew that was a, that was the make or break place. You have to embody what you know. That's how it turns into wisdom. That's what I say. Knowledge is not power. Power comes from wisdom, which is knowledge put into action. So embodiment. So here we are. I'm like, check this out. The Thursday before the last day of class, I had gone up to LA to meet with colleagues from the Evolutionary Business Council. We had dinner together and I've got pictures. There are pictures online of me holding up the advanced reader copy of the book. Wow. It had come so far that it was in a cover, hard Mm -hmm. copy, It was printed and the advanced reader copy was out with people who were going to read it in order to give it an endorsement. And so I took it up there and I was so excited and I was sharing it around the table with my colleagues and we all toasted my book. Little did I know, 24 hours later, a blood vessel would explode in my head Mm. and I'd have a brain hemorrhage and wake up three days later from a coma. Oh my God. So the book was scheduled to launch. I mean, that was March. The book was scheduled to launch in June. Oh my gosh. So instead of launching my book in June, the book was put on hold for a year because it, I mean, 
at the time it was put on hold. We didn't. You woke up not being able to talk and was it your left side of your body? The hemorrhage is on the left side. So it's my whole right side. That still has stroke effect still to this day. It's, it's an ongoing journey of how do I work when I feel this way? Do I work when the body is in such a state? It's a journey. Wow. Disability, which has in some ways been deemed permanent. And I try not to buy in at the spiritual level, like fifth dimension there. Yeah. There's a diagnosis in the third dimension and you know, that's where I live. And I also know that as an integrated spiritual human, I'm still working on activating my superpowers to make, you know, healing. Like we said, yeah, wiggle the nose and transport myself to the other side. But yeah, so the book came out in August of 2016. And did you make any edits? Not a one. I never touched it. It's interesting that the book kept saying it wasn't done. And then it was done. And then you probably, you know, I would imagine that the experience of your hemorrhagic stroke was life altering. I guess that's for the next book. (laughs) Or not. I don't know. I don't, I've never felt an urge or a nudge. So the nudge would be from the divine to mentalize the stroke, the hemorrhage in a book. It's like, mm, people ask me that. I think they, you know, and then, and then it's often, I get the, the question about, so how did you change your book? And I'm always like, I didn't, I never went back and touched it. It was an advanced reader copy. It was on the press. It was ready to go. Everything was done except to take those words off of it and then hit the printing press and sell the book. I was not, there was nothing about what that book is about that would have been enhanced at all by telling the story of the journey with the brain hemorrhage. It seemed to me to be so cheap compared to what's in that book. And the book is about raising your consciousness. And what I do say is this, when I woke up, I couldn't speak, but I didn't know that. My brother had flown in from Virginia. And so I kind of woke up and he was there and I was like, hmm. And my mom was there. I don't remember being consciously aware of where I was. And I started to talk and everything came out as gibberish. And I know what gibberish sounds like because I'm an improv comedian and we (laughs) gibberish on stage all the time. So I'm familiar with the sound of gibberish, but not from anywhere but stage. I don't use gibberish except when I'm performing. And by choice. (laughs) Exactly. So I was kind of like, and I I had formulated perfect sentences, like what's going on? What are you doing here? What, you know, but they didn't come out that way. And I actually realized that I was speaking by looking at their faces, Mm. something's wrong here. And then I went back out. Like, I, I don't know. I don't get the whole timeline completely, but, but here's the thing. I remember very consciously thinking, well, this is interesting. I'm a speaker a teacher, a healer, and a coach, and I can't speak. And then I'm nodding profusely at the the profound. The next thing that came up was, well, if Stephen Hawking can do it, so can I. Wow. That was it. Wow. It was back out. And then, so what I'm saying is 
There's no doubt in my mind that what I teach in that book and the energy of that book and the divine blessing of that book blessed me in that moment because I did not do anything to receive the ability to speak coming back into my body, except relax myself and say, oh, well, I'll be able to do it. I'm sure. And boom, just dropped in, crossed the finish line, never left the starting blocks. Wow. Yeah. That's miraculous beauty. And I believe when we release resistance, resistance in the body, mind, spirit, self, then we can receive. So imagine if I had been like, oh my God, what, you know, going crazy about it, that that tightens my body. And then the ability to speak might be just six, you know, I'm, I'm holding my hand like six inches from my body. It's in my field, but it can't land because I'm punching it away with my anger, frustration, questioning, doubt, like all those things that I'd done all my life, but had been teaching myself, yeah, that doesn't work so well, Valerie. How can we be bigger container for love and light and joy and peace? And I absolutely know that that's what made that allowed for the speech that was there waiting to be had to drop back in. I went to speech therapy at the residential rehab and they were like, why did they send you over here? (laughs) And they wheeled me over in my wheelchair. Why did they, we don't understand what you're doing here. And I said, well, somebody wanted my speech checked out and they they were like, don't ever come back. It's like the health journey was the like appendix of this is how you walk out this book. This is how you walk it out. This is a beautiful rainbow expression of what this book is about in your, as you recover. I don't think I realized it back then in retrospect, I'm like, well, yeah, that makes sense. That's what I teach. So I guess I did it not even knowing that I was doing it. And I got the blessing of, of the receiving. And who knows? I mean, it didn't have to fall in that, you know, literally the next day I woke up and people, you could see the visible, like, and the, the neurologist had told my mom when I got to the hospital. So I was leading a workshop at UCI. Oh my gosh. So imagine this, if it had happened, I don't know, call it 20 hours earlier, I would have been not even that long. I would have been on the highway, on the freeway at doing 80 miles an hour, coming home from dinner in LA. Wow. I probably would have died in the car and probably taken a couple people along with me. Wow. So that was divine order that it didn't happen. I live alone. Didn't happen in the middle of the night. Otherwise I would have died. Nobody would have found me. I would have been probably a no-show to the event the next day. And then maybe they would have sent some people over, but by then I might've already succumbed. So look at all of the blessings. And I say this to say, those blessings were in my life from day one. I wasn't always capable of seeing them, appreciating them and receiving them. Noticing, appreciating and receiving are three keys to living happy to be me. And when I look at the dots that had to connect to land me in the student center, like the the workshop that I was doing was originally scheduled 
for offices way in the center of campus. And at the last moment, because there were too many people coming and the person who had hired me to do this workshop wanted to do it on neutral territory, not in their office where the, her 60 leaders work. She wanted to do it in neutral territory. She moved it to the student center. In fact, I went to the old place first and I got there. I'm like, <laughs> wait, nobody's here. Like what's going on? And then I, <laughs> I met somebody in the office and I'm going through my email. She goes, you should have gotten an email that she moved it to the student center. So I'm racing to the student center. And now this was literally six hours before the hemorrhage. So I don't remember, maybe there were some physiological pre-hemorrhage symptoms. If there were, they are not a part of my visceral memory of that day. So I made it over there. You know, everybody's there. I was teaching in the morning while other people were teaching. I was interjecting. Then there was lunch. I remember, I do remember going to get my lunch plate. It was a buffet. And I looked at all the food and you know me, Lisa, I am a <laughs> huge food hound. I do know so, that. So my little girl was rubbing her hands together and like <laughs> smiling in delight. Like I want some chips and I want some ham and some turkey. Like I was in it. And there was a voice very deep very distinctive, no eat, two words, no eat. And I stood there for a minute. You know how you're like, who said that? Yes, (laughs) I have had that moment. Look to right, but your head's not moving. Your eyes are just like, okay, I don't want it to be obvious. And I'm trying to see who said that. (laughs) I'm just standing there, people in line behind me. And I put my plate down and I walked away from the table. And then hour and a half, 2.30, I think it was, hour and a half later, I'm in the middle of debriefing and the blood vessel goes off. Somebody noticed I was, I don't know what I was doing. I wish people had taken out their cameras. I wish I had a- One of those moments you wish they did. (laughs) Yeah, I really do. Because I really would like to see it. I, I don't really remember all of it. I do remember backing up, my foot, my right foot stopped moving. Somebody over here, over my right shoulder said, are you okay? Similar, but not exactly like the ConAgra moment. I said, yes, thank you. (laughs) um, And I just kept going with the debrief. And I was backing up to the front of the room to get back to my laptop and to like advance the slides from the debrief to the next piece. And I asked my foot to move again. I thought it was hung up on something. And (laughs) then I almost fell. And the person caught me. That's another thing. Like falling and hitting my head would have been a real bad thing right then. Yeah. Out of nowhere, I don't, to this day, I don't know who it was. Somebody grabbed me and sat me in a chair. And then I just sat in the chair going, what is going on? And I could tell something was going on. I just didn't feel well. I just, it was bad. And I, I was looking through this room full of people to find the woman who hired me. And I just mouthed the words to her. I don't know what this is. And she got up from the table, started coming toward me while she was dialing 911. Oh my God. <sighs> yeah. And then I remember saying, I think I'm going to be sick. And people were like rushing to me. The, the room still has these 40, 50, 60 people in it, right? Wow. They're all watching. Wow. And I'm like, I think I'm going to be sick. And they said, we'll get you to the ladies room. And I said, I'm not going to make it. And then I looked up at 
at um, Stephanie, Dr. Stephanie Reyes Tuccio. And I said, Stephanie, please don't have me projectile vomiting with these people watching me. Like that's, I was still that conscious and lucid <laughs> that I could say that. Like, I'm supposed to be here as like the leadership teacher. Oh, wow. I don't want to be puking in front of these people. So they cleared the room and I did, they brought a, one of those big conference room trash cans. And I remember, hang, I thought I was hanging on with both my hands. Uh-huh. People say your right hand was in your lap. Wow. And that's how some of the people who noticed thought I was having a stroke. Wow. Because my right, my right foot is what wouldn't move. And I almost fell. And then my hand, I thought I was holding on with both hands. They say they, I was not. And then I remember flashes, like as the gurney was rolling out of the student center, I remember seeing, you know how you see flashes of the ceiling going by? I've seen that on, on TV. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I remember. And I think it's my memory. It's not the TV. So I remember <laughs> that, like, and I remember students on the sides. I didn't look that way, but I could hear them like, what's going, you know, an ambulance is pulled up at the student center yeah. and a gurney's going by. Yeah. And so I could hear that kind of chatter. And I woke up several days later. And and you still had one more class to teach in that first cohort of your class? Yeah, I didn't make it. And but it was a blessing. <laughs> what the students were supposed to do, it was a five-week journey toward embodiment. It's called a capstone project. Five weeks, they were supposed to pick something about themselves that they knew wasn't serving them, not good or bad or right or wrong. It's not about that. It's just, I do this, but it doesn't give me the results I want. It's not serving me. They were supposed to pick it. I wasn't going to tell them, yeah, that's the right thing. I just was like, you pick it. And here's how you do the project. And that day was when they were going to come in. They had to give a presentation to the class, a five-minute presentation about what they discovered. And then they had to write a covenant to themselves about how they were going to keep their learning going till they got to the level of self-mastery. And my students, instead of me showing up that day, so this happened on Friday, that class was on a Tuesday. Um, Instead of me showing up, the chief of staff for the vice chancellor of student affairs (laughs) went to my classroom and let the students know what had happened and that I wouldn't be there. And then Edgar says he gave them the option to cancel class and just turn in their papers or go ahead and do their presentations. They voted to do their presentations. And so the chief of staff Wow. The vice chancellor students saw their fucking presentations. Exactly. Oh, oh my God. Like if that's not divine. Yeah. Because you can imagine that some student intern would have been sent over to cancel the class and collect the papers. Right. Right. That's not what happened. Wow. Edgar was notified. (laughs) The chief of staff, he goes there to tell them. And then he stays. It's a three-hour class, Lisa. He stays. Oh, my gosh. Three You cannot make this up. No. No. And sees the result of your amazing work. The result. He told me the next time we talked, I went from being an advocate to a zealot that day. (sighs) That's the divine nature of what's, you know, like every single thing, Lisa, this is what I'm saying. Like the pen. What are you saying? What are you saying? Tell me. Let's bring it home. I'm going to lay down some. All right, let's do it. it. Here we go. Okay. Taking a deep breath. This is what I'm saying. Okay. 
Yeah, spirit's coming through right now. Our lives are completely surrounded, top to bottom, left to right, front to back, over and under, filled with magic and miracles. Every moment, every day, whether we notice or not, it's there. It's there. When we notice, wow, is that fun. This stuff is available to us at all times. And the way these dots connected, you can't make this stuff up. This is, to me, my life as a demonstration. Like I tell the story. Someone actually said to me once, you got to stop telling that story. And I was like, wow, do I tell it too much? And then I got a distinct, no, you don't tell it too much. Tell it more. And the reason Mm -hmm. is this, because in the story of the demonstrations that have happened in just this little period, you see how divine mind, I call that God, how the loving nature of the universe, I call that God, the, the divine principle of oneness, I call that God, how that is available and at work all the time in the midst of what looks like a fucking shit storm. There it is. The brilliance, the magnificence, the warm embrace, the love that says, sister, you don't even know how well I got you. You're in a coma right now, but I got you anyway. That's why I do this work. <sighs> I'm just breathing that shit in. That's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. That's some divine chisel, isn't it? It's, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Clap, 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 clap. Oh my gosh. We're definitely going to have to do a part two and I'm excited for that. And I'm looking forward to our friendship, our new friendship that is with my neighbor and getting to go for a walk with a friend. I'm really excited about that. This was magnificent. Thank you so much, Dr. Valerie Renee Shepard. It has been an absolute honor. Thank you, Lisa. I'm so excited to have been here and blessings to your audience and yabba dabba do. <laughs> Thank you. I was right. <laughs> Wasn't I? Wow. I just love Dr. I love me some Dr. Valerie Renee Shepard. And she loves you too, because she is offering a crazy freebie to my audience, which is a one-on-one conversation with her called the Bliss accelerator call. I mean, who does not want that? So the link to that is in the show notes. If you feel like you could benefit from some one-on-one time with her, I can't think of anybody who wouldn't. It's just whether you're ready for it or not. So check out the bliss accelerator call. And then for our GFR squad members, she did a bonus training on slow down to speed up. And it is something that she touches on in her book, but she goes deeper into looks like seven steps. And it was just so eye-opening. So many of these things, I am like a guinea pig. This is one of our more extensive ones. I think it's about 30 minutes and it's just enlightening. If you want to be enlightened, be in the GFR squad. If you've been thinking about joining, go ahead and pull the trigger. I know it's going to take you a minute to go to the website and sign up. Totally worth it. Our community confession calls where we focus on one of the GFR commandments each month is the second Wednesday of the month right now at noon. That could change, but that's what it is right now at the time of this recording. And I would love to spend time with you 
dropping into your GFR journey and you would get access to all of the bonus trainings from all of our guests. And they are juicy. They cover everything from how to have a threesome. (laughs) Yes, believe it or not, to how to do more quality live video and how to tell somebody they're being a jerk to you. I mean, there's <laughs> there's a wide array of expertise that our guests bring and you would be able to binge all those when you become a GFR squad member for only 20 bucks a month. Ah, all right. Loved being with you. I hope you will do yourself the gift of subscribing to the show so that you don't miss any of these amazing stories and that you can stay inspired along your journey so that you can fulfill your mission. Over and out for now.